pulled out and so we have three heaters in our house electric heaters that go on the wall and two of them are currently broken uh, my landlord's coming later today to fix one of them but like that one broke first and he ordered the part ordered the whole new heater to replace it but the one in this room is not going to get replaced yet. He's going to look at it and probably replace it at some point. I don't know when, but uh, it's a bummer being cold. Yeah, I know. I wore my sweats to bed last night, which I hate. Yeah. I like being free and easy, you know? I wear all wool. I wear wool socks in bed. It's cold. Yeah. Yeah, I've been wearing my Snapcase sweatshirt to bed lately. Why it's did, from did the, 20 years ago or more. We're recording now, right? Oh, do you want to start it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's start it. Hello and welcome to Every Damn Thing. It's a podcast where we rank everything. I'm Phil. And I'm Jake, and we're here to guide you through the list of everything. Each episode, we take items and tell you where they rank on the list of everything. The list can be viewed by going to everydamnthing.net, and you can find a link for that in the show notes. So we've known each other for quite a while. Once, while marching with a vast army over the Alps. If I recall correctly, this was during our stint as Swords for Hire in a great ancient army. That's right. And while traversing a particularly treacherous mountain pass, the elephant we were riding slipped on some ice and threw us down the mountainside. Luckily, a patch of pow-pow broke our fall. We looked around and found ourselves in a remote alpine valley. Fortunately, we soon found the village of a Celtic tribe. Their leader was a man of astonishing physical stature. He fed us some root vegetables and then started banging some sticks on a hollowed-out log while reciting to us an epic poem that contained a rank list of everything. We memorized the poem and the list contained within, but the moment we finished, the tribal leader got so into the zone of his rhythm that he accidentally started drumming on our heads instead of the log. He gave us a real beating. Wow. <laughs> we were forced to pelt him with our uneaten root vegetables to escape. We had to beat him off. <laughs> but unfortunately, the damage he'd done to our brains erased the list of everything from our conscious minds. We can now only access the list uh, little bits at a time through an extremely scientific process that resembles shooting the shit. Through this process, podcasted for your entertainment and edification, we will gradually uncover the list of every damn thing. The list currently has 93 items with Dolly Parton at the top and QAnon at the bottom. The C and coffee are in the middle list. And I should say that's the C meaning like the ocean, not uh, the letter C. The letter C. C. Yeah, yeah. C is for cookie. Um, cookies aren't on the list yet. Oh, anyways, no. that's where uh, everything stands on the list. That gives you an idea of what it looks like. If you want to see the complete list... You can find it at the show notes or at everydamnthing.net. Uh, yes, and, and today we have a guest. It's our dear friend Andy. Andy Grinelli will reveal your last name. Andy is a friend. He's a drummer. He plays drums in the Distillers, formerly of Darker My Love, Nerve Agents. Uh, he's an avid mountain biker. He's um, a father. Is, he's a he's husband. A father. He's a, a mountaineer. Right? Is that fair, Andy? That's that fair. fair. Andy? It's nice to yeah. be on with you guys. Thank you for the yeah. intro. Yeah. Oh, it's kind. a treat. It's a treat to even get to see you because, you know, the quarantine and everything, we never yeah. get to see each other. And we, we both left the city and we went in opposite directions. So I see you even less, you know? Yeah, it's true. You moved to the north and I mm -hmm. moved south and live in Santa Cruz, California. Yeah, so yeah that's Santa how Cruz. it is. Oh, the, sorry, another thing I didn't mention is you have a side project. Yeah, I have a side project, a band with some other musicians who live in Santa Cruz called Seized Up, and it is myself and Chuck Platt from Good Riddance, Clifford Densmore from Blast, and Danny B, who was from a hardcore band called Fast Asleep that I also yeah. play drums in. Do you um, have, because you can't have shows, right? So No. Uh, that stuff's real hardcore man. Seized Up. It is. It's cool. Uh, so, And then that's the most recent thing that you've recorded that has been released, right, Andy? Yeah. That has been and released. that was earlier this year, right? Or no, yeah. I guess last year. Last year, 2020. And what's up with the Distillers? Distillers are... Distillers, yeah. Distillers have a new album in the can and have had it in the can since last year. 
And Lots of bands are doing that. Yeah. Right? So why they like they don't want to release their album during because you think people would want to buy a record during the pandemic, right? Oh, because you can't tour for it. Yeah, we we can't tour for it. We're just trying to get our ducks in a row. Oh. I think every band nowadays has to make that decision. You know, do they yeah. want to? Wait it out and see what will happen, or do they want yeah. to try and also, um, like, just put it out now and promote it through the channels that are available, which is uh, online. Lots of people are like doing like a real trickle of songs, like they release a couple songs at a time. It seems like I it think- could be tricky because, like, what if the music is like I don't want to say topical. It's not like it's ripped from the headlines, but you know, like if a song is a year old, it will sound a year old, right? Not necessarily. Or, I think because no one else has been coming out with music for a year, so it's not like. And it's also not like you're, you're talking about the headlines in it. It's not like you're talking about like, oh, shit, I hope Tom Brady like plays for the Patriots forever uh-huh. is like in the lyrics. Or you know what I'm saying? Or, 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 I'm just thinking of something that I know that like for movies, that's a thing, you know, like they don't want to come out the movies. If like all the songs are about getting sick and coughing and stuff, you don't want to have that album come out this year. I don't I'm not saying that's what the songs are about. It's going to be a surprise. But if the songs are about being sick or, or passing on viruses or whatnot like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of things I think have pivoted too. like I was watching a. This show on MTV, a documentary type show that I think your wife might have watched it. Maybe you did too, Phil, called um, How to Something with John. That's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's like a diary style documentary. Yeah. Super funny. Shot, but, but like he used footage that he shot in New York City mostly over like a long period of time that he edited together. But you could tell by the last episode this he's starting to shoot footage during the pandemic. But but tough. most of it I think he had shot well before. You could tell the, yeah, the but most, most of, of his footage is like him walking around and talking to people, but like he can't really get as much of that because everyone is home and it, it like messed with this whole process, I imagine. Andy, if you have HBO, you should watch this. It's only 30 minutes long. It's super um, funny. It, it'll make it's you funny. There are parts in it where you will laugh out loud. And you'll say, I can't believe they said that stuff. You'll turn to your wife. You'll say, did he really? And she'll be saying (laughs) the same thing. Did he really? And then you'll both shrug your shoulders. What show? Yeah, but it's also like insightful. And what's it called? It's beautiful. How to with John Wilson is his name, maybe? Okay. How to with John Wilson, yeah. It's good. And it's only half an hour, which is the right length for something to be. Unless Speaking it's a podcast. Of that, things going too long. Let's get podcast to it. Podcast can be a little over half an hour. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, Andy, as a drummer, uh, you had recommended to us a long time ago, suggested that we rank snare drums. And I thought that it would be best to have you come on to um, help us rank snare drums. A lot of times people want things and like if we don't know enough about them, it's not fair to rank them. So we thought we have you. You're an expert. Also, now, you're an interesting person and fun to talk to and fun to talk with. And I think our listeners can probably get sick of just uh, me and Phil. I know I do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, th- thanks for having me on. And I'm definitely uh, into gear, uh, especially okay, yeah. drum gear. And so this is something that I'm excited about. What is this? I do. Can I ask one question about the list oh, before yeah. we dive in? Yeah. So... Jake, you made the comment that cookies weren't on the list. They're not. I'd like to say well, here, here's the thing. Actually, Oreos is on the list. Yeah, and I want to file a complaint uh, right off the bat. At the end of the year of the first anniversary, uh, I think we should maybe have a, a reckoning where we think about all the mistakes we made. I want to ask the question, who ranked Man Bun over Oreos? Oreos are kind of gross. That would have been me and Phil, and I think Jason was on that episode as well. The thing so about it, it is, if you eat a lot of Oreos, it'd be physically ill, right? You eat so much stuff. The stuff, double stuff, single stuff with yeah. the single F. Yeah, man buns. After a while, you can eat so many of those before you, you don't get even sick. see them anymore. <laughs> oh, you don't even taste them anymore. <laughs> okay. Did you? Did anyone notice in post on Instagram recently that there was a picture of 
in a man seemed bun? to be having a man bun kind of ninja type haircut going on. He probably saw it on the list and he said, oh, it looks like it's safe to do because it's high enough on the list. <laughs> 71. It's, it's approved by... I bet it by, looks great. Um, by the way, I'm sorry to correct you, but I think you mean samurai, not ninja. I don't think ninjas wear that kind of hair. Uh, yeah, sorry. Because <laughs> it would get stuck in their uh, ninja I don't mask. approve of, of ninjas being promoted to kids. Ninjas are murderers. Like, it's they're assassins. They, we shouldn't yeah. be telling kids ninja it's this true. ninja that. All right. Sorry. We can argue about it, though. I'm happy oh, so to argue. So here's the thing about but... the list, Andy, is there's some amount of, like, randomness and chaos when it comes to where things are placed on the list. And it's it might not seem like... that way that there is, but it actually, th- that's the list, and we can't really do anything about it. It feels like where things fall on the list may be situational and may be subject to the expert, like someone like me, it might look advocating that for the yeah. thing that's on the list. I'm and, sorry if it yeah. made you feel I mean, that way. We're just interpreting the list. <laughs> It might seem like there's some sort of randomness to it, but... One could be forgiven for thinking that that was true. If you travel to the end of time and look back on the list... It'll make sense. Then you'd be able to see it all makes sense, yeah. You'll be like, oh, I get it. Man buns were necessary to defeat the alien invaders. I see. Whereas Oreos just fueled their anger. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) it'll become clear. Like, things will coalesce. There's only 93 things on there, and there's an infinite number of more things that have to be added. I gotta, wait, let's get into this. Snare drums. What are snare drums? Are they the little ones? And you hit them with your hands with the sticks, right? Yeah, snare drums are a main component of the backbeat. Mm-hmm. Snare drums are part of the trap set of a drum set. Oh. Uh-huh. And snare drums originated from the tabor, which is a drum that came around in medieval Europe. It's like one that you hold up and... Like a little drummer boy. The little drummer boy is, is a, would be a field drum. All right. And that's oh. like a 1400s origination, mm-hmm. and that originated from Switzerland. What can so, you do it just So the thing drum? that sets the snare drum apart from other drums is it's a dual skin drum with... That means there's skin on the top and the bottom? Skin on the top and the bottom, stretched across some wood. What kind of skin is it uh, Well, originally it was, you know, animal skin. But now it's synthetic? Yeah, and then there's a snare which is a strand that goes across the bottom of the drum. And that's what gives it its unique sound apart. Oh. It's made of metal, right? It like is now, wire? but originally okay. it was animal sinew. And the idea of the snare at the bottom was to kind of mute the drum to keep it from being really ringy. You mean so it's not right. like tom? Yes, it doesn't ring yeah. out, boom, you know, but the snare at the bottom muted the bottom head and gave it more of a, a muted And you sound. like to hit it with the stick or you hit it with that little brush? What do you call that little brush? Uh, brush. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and, and I noticed it's like snare and trap. Why are they called like that? Does it look like what they would use to trap animals with in the Or old maybe days? when they're on a hunting expedition, they would play, they, would, they had nothing to do, so they would play their uh, hunting tools. So the trap kit originated really because, you know, originally these drums were played separately. You'd have a bass drum and you'd have uh-huh. a snare drum, and they were played by two separate people. They didn't even like each other. And then. <laughs> <laughs> So it the, must the, have been hard for them to keep a rhythm, though, right? The two of them working together? No, you. it's just like in any band, right? You have a bass oh, player and a guitar player. and you have Phil, a, haven't you ever been in a drum circle? I've watched Drumline. In the movie Drumline, is he using a uh, a snare drum? Like, he has snare drums, right? Yeah, that's a marching drum. Oh, okay. So we're kind of jumping no, all over. Okay. I think in the Sorry. history of a snare drum and how it came about in its current form, you yeah. know, the origination is uh, as the tabor. And then throughout time, the military started using a snare drum to signal the their movements on the field. And then, like I was talking about earlier, the Swiss Army picked up the field drum and they popularized the field drum in their battles and things like that. Um, Brought it 
to the English. The English started using it as well in the 1500s. Mainly the drum was used to signal military movements. It was brought to the United States, you know, on the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria and all the way yeah. through the Christopher pilgrims. Combustus. It's noted as being yeah. there was a, a massacre of Indians in the early 1600s where the settlers lured the Indians into a trap by using a snare drum. Oh man, this is a yeah, point against so snare drums, I think. It has Yeah, that's a point against them. So it's a tool that yeah, can be used for good and evil. Past. But but I mean I think it's fair to say like many things throughout time, it's changed in its use and connotation and over time things change and evolve, right? So yeah. snare drums the, not militaries mil probably don't even use them. Militaries anymore. do use them. They're in, but not in the field. No, they use cell phones, cell technology. <laughs> they use satellites. No. So that's good because that's a mark in their favor. I'm, I'm generally like, I'm not like crazy about military stuff. So I feel like it's a mark in their favor that they're not used so yeah. much from the military. Now, these days. Is that what you play taps on or is that the marching drum that you're referring to? Yeah, before? you can play, you play taps on the snare drum. But see, the drum itself has evolved. Okay. There's different types. You know, there's a marching drum that you guys are talking about, which is a big, deep thing. It's 15 inches wide and up to 15 inches deep. Yeah. There's a snare drum that is more you know like what drummers play today that's behind a trap kit that's 14 inches wide usually and six and a half inches deep or five inches deep have jake and i listened to any pieces of music that have only snare drum like they don't have a cymbal or a bass drum or i don't know what else is in the, in the like kit. the thing that pops into my head the most would be that there's a smashing pumpkin song i think mm -hmm. oh do you know the name of it tonight oh i know this one i know that one and that's got like a really you know snare forward now how yeah. do you feel about the drum is tonight, it your favorite tonight, of the drums Okay. Okay, now we got to pay the Smashing okay. Pumpkins. <laughs> so I want to ask one thing before you answer Phil's question about whether or not it's your favorite type of drum. Will you define a trap set for me? Okay. So as I was talking about earlier, it used to be these different drums were played by different people. You'd have one guy playing the bass drum. You'd have another guy playing the snare drum. You'd have another third guy playing the cymbals. And like you might see in a symphony. Yeah, like in a symphony. And the trap kit came about as an answer to the desire of, for only wanting one person to handle all the drums. Keeping those costs so low. So there was an invention of the bass drum pedal that came about in the late yeah. 1800s where you can actuate the bass drum by kicking the pedal. Then you'd add that with, it had a name, it was the multi-drum player or something like that. That's okay. messed up for the people. It's like a one-man band kind exactly. of? Exactly. I was going to say, yeah. it's, it's one-man band adjacent. Yeah. I bet when they first came out with it, it seemed really gimmicky. Well, it was gimmicky in that it was new, I suppose, but it was And half the drummers lost their that, jobs. Yeah, then. then suddenly you can have these bands without the requirement of all these people. So you'd have one yeah. guy who can play the snare and the bass drum. Then they also oh, invented we... this thing called the low boy, which is two cymbals that clap together, which was the origination of the hi-hat cymbal, which then also adds to the black. What's the, the thing you beat. call when you step on it and it puts the two cymbals together? Hi -hat, that's what I'm talking about. Low boy is where it originated. Oh, low boy. And now, it, oh, okay. now it's called yeah. a hi-hat. Yeah. It turned drumming into a lower body activity. Well, you know what I mean? Well, like it's you, both. It's upper and lower. It's upper and lower. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying it became a full body occupation. So a big part yeah. of the success of many drummers is their ability to separate their limbs to do different things. Um, so really good drummers can play different beats using their different appendages. Jake, I think he's saying he can do those things. When he said really good drummers, <laughs> he didn't say it. I know that's how you know like Andy's not big timey. He didn't say he could do it, but you get what he, I, I know that he can though. Well, I get yeah, idea. and what appendages they are yeah. too. <laughs> it's oh yeah, good point. I didn't even think about that. I think that's something well, that every good drummer practices: is limb independence. Yeah. 
Ah, I, so the trap set is essentially what you would see in a normal like four piece band. Yeah, or just sort of any. It's a drum set. It's a drum set. Yeah, now, yeah. You, you picture like uh, Keith Moon or something like that. Yeah, that's what he like has. in the turn of the century, 1900s, Gene Krupa was playing what you'd call a trap set. And you have his bass drum with cymbals and, you know, little toms and things kind of hanging yeah. off. What's it. the future of the trap set? Do you think in 100 years it'll be much different? Everything's been virtualized. Right. So now, you know, you have a drum machine. And that's not really the future because it's even that's now become old. Yeah. But like live music's going to exist, I think for a long time, hopefully it's been out of the scene the last year or so, but, and like something like jazz, like I imagine it'd be hard to see live jazz played to a drum machine, you know? Yeah. It must've seemed like that a hundred years ago, they probably thought having one drummer, come on, man. Yeah. I mean, even then, like before jazz, I would think the popular music would probably mainly be like a big band type stuff. So Andy, what's your favorite drum? Is it the snare drum? It's hard to say, but snare and bass. Okay. I mean, the snare and, and the, the snare drum. You're somebody I like, right? And a friend of mine. You've paid your bills with a snare drum. Where if you didn't have the snare drum and you tried to use something else on the list, like an Oreo cookie or a man bun, <laughs> it wouldn't have worked as well. Not as right? well, no. I mean, there are yeah. things. I, looking at the list, there are things you could have drummed on, like a saxophone or something, or like a seedless watermelon. There's nothing that really would have done the trick See, for you. See, this watermelon could have got close. You could have banged on it. But it wouldn't fit in the drum set very well, and it wouldn't travel well. Yeah. And, Andy, and are you prepared to try to start ranking the thing on this list of everything? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with the snare drum is it's a component to a bigger piece. Right. And its biggest yeah. piece would be music, oh. right? How it applies to music. And music is a rhythmic thing, usually. Uh-huh. So I would put it as an accompaniment to music. So Andy, we have one on here that's actually a really useful one, which is, I think it's number eight on our list right now. Not not to say that that's where it should go. Air? Um, onions? Onions, right? And onions are number 10 and they're a food, but they're also mostly an ingredient. You know, you don't just eat onions the same way you don't just listen to a snare drum. It's like part of a larger whole usually, but it's so important and so integral of a whole, you can't think of most recipes without onions in them. It would be gross. Yeah, right? kind of like, like that thing uh, where the key to someone saying, that smells good, what are you cooking? And nine times out of 10, it's someone just cooking up just an onion. Onions, yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's onions. So in many ways, I think snare drum is kind of equivalent. Not to say it should go at the same number. Maybe it should be higher or lower, but- Yeah, 10 I think- is pretty dang high. It's in the top 10, well, then um, you think I-, I would say. Every song that we have on here probably has a snare drum, and if it doesn't have an actual snare drum, it has a virtual snare yeah, drum. Yeah, I mean, I'd, right. I'd like to refer to number 11 on the list. Midnight Train to Georgia has a snare in it, for sure. Does it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, for sure. And also, I mean, it keeps the beat. Uh, and then yeah. back yeah. that ass up, the intro too, uh, also. Does it? Only the intro, well, back that ass up? It's only the intro that's on the list. So we looked at uh, Midnight Train to Georgia, which is number 11. We looked at the intro to back that ass up, which is number 20. I personally would look lower on the list, would place snares lower on the list. I would put it over dilapidated shacks. Okay. But then that shacks also are puts... pretty nice to look at, but you can do without them. I just feel like without... How about plants? Plants are pretty necessary. I, I would put them Plants are number 24, things. by the way. Dilapidated shacks I'll tell you two. this. 22. And I think I see exactly where it should go. Where's this? I believe the snare drum needs to be nestled right above saxophone. So now this is saxophone in rock music specifically. It's not the instrument saxophone overall, but it's saxophone in rock music. Wait a minute, um, But wait a minute, I, wait I mean, I get your point. I mean, even if we take snare drum in rock music, the snare drum is, is more important specifically to rock music. Snare drum is important um, to all music, I think. And it's something that yeah. that sound and the idea behind it is what carries the beat, which inherently creates music. It's not creates important to like the I feel like it could be higher up. 
Okay, what are you looking at? So saxophone rock music was 28. Well, I'm just saying. I'd put like, it right I in between somebody. rye bread and uh, saxophone. Okay. I would make. All right, because I love rye bread, but it's like rye bread never paid the bills for anybody that I know. Unless you're the rye bread man. Mine, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know the rye bread man. That's a thing, personally. You must have known a baker I'm talking to a friend of mine. You know, it, like that's what you do for a job. And if you're telling me, you know more about it than I do. I love rye bread. I smell it. You know? I'm actually happy with that place too. That would be okay. making it the new number 28. Yeah. Moving uh, saxophone and rock music to number 29. Yeah, I'm surprised actually we settled on something that fast that we were all happy with. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, so there we have it. We've got snare drums in at number I'd, 28. I'd like to just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I can add, there was talk about what's the best snare drum or your favorite snare drum. You know, snare drums oh, yeah. typically are either wood or metal. Mm-hmm. The most expensive snare drum usually in the catalog, and to me, the best sounding snare drum is going to be a brass drum. Ooh. And oh. early on, Ludwig, who was the inventor of the metal snare drum, made a nickel, a black nickel over brass drum called the Black Beauty. And uh, it's still available today. And I would say that is the best sounding snare drum. Who makes that? Do you have one or have you played one? I've had many over the years and I have one now. Yeah. And it's my main Uh, go to that I use. If your kid is like around there, you say, hey, don't be messing with that thing. That's a black beauty. Don't be banging on that thing. Hey, Ludwig, (laughs) if you're looking for a podcast to sponsor. Yeah, find you... a different one. There's there's lots about drums, probably. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, let's take a break. We rank that, and we'll come back and rank the next thing. Right. We're back. Let's go on to the second thing, which was picked out by Andy um, from the submission queue. Um, this thing was submitted by listener, uh, super submitter Donovan. It's Carthage, which is an ancient city and also an ancient empire. Yeah, city-state, a rival of Rome in the old days. Carthage was in what is current-day Tunisia in North Africa. By 500 BC, so it was founded in 814 BC. By 500 BC, it was the richest uh, metropolis in all of the Mediterranean, and it pretty much dominated for the next, like, three, and, 400 years. Dominated and they had boats the coming and going all around the Mediterranean. Yeah, there were seafaring peoples. Did they invent and, purple dye? Is that something I remember? Like, purple dye comes from there. No, or, or I, that, I don't know, actually. Okay. I believe it, but um, purple dye is cool. Yeah. I know purple dye signified um, wealth and royalty for quite some time. It wasn't available to the masses, things that were purple Purple's for a long time. Purple color of kings, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it might, um, I might be thinking of, like, the Phoenicians or something, so, you know. I, well, Phoenicians are, um, Carthaginians were Phoenicians. Oh, Carthage was founded by Phoenix. Phoenix, I guess you would say, right? I think Phoenicians were more of a culture than an actual empire. So, so um, do you, can you name any notable Carthaginians? Because I can name one probably, and that's having it. Having watched a two-part documentary on the Punic Wars, oh. and having listened to the um, podcast, Dan Carlin's Hardcore oh, History. I listened to that, but it was some time ago, so I, I might not okay. remember it. Yeah, okay. it's, it's behind a paywall. I had to pay five bucks to listen to it. Just, that was three parts. So um, You can write that off on things, your taxes because you did it for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Each of these things was about the Punic Wars. By the way, I learned in checking this stuff out that Punic actually um, means Phoenician. It's another way to say Phoenician. Although, oh, I thought they were punishing them or no. something. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, never, um, I never put that together. But Phoenicians are from the Middle East, from the um, Levant, more or less, or uh-huh. that area. And when modern historians talk about Punic... They're talking about culturally Phoenician people who lived in the Western Mediterranean. They're west of Egypt. I think the Western Mediterranean pretty much means west of like Italy and everything west of there, or maybe west of. And Greece I know that like Spain originally was founded by the Phoenicians as well. So yeah, much of like Spain. The, I think lots of people can yeah. they claim to that, but I think the Phoenicians were the first major, more civilized. What What uh, were their big uh, contributions to like? Did they come up with any new advancements in art or culture or science or? So uh, there's a few things that they did. What one thing. That's significant is that much of what they did 
we don't know or we can't quite attribute to them because for a large part, they were um, erased from history. Like all of our accounts from them come from more the, the or less outsiders, enemy. usually yeah. Romans, much of which was written after the fact and was really colored by the fact that Romans vilified Carthaginians. Yeah. And, and I feel like after the most the, the last of the Punic Wars, they really destroyed Carthage like they yeah. they killed as many as they could. They enslaved the rest. They they destroyed the whole city and then they took salt and plowed it into all the fields because now, they the never want to do it again. The salt is crazy to me thinking that like you went to that level. Why? It turns out that was an invention of 19th century historians. Oh. The salt thing. But well, it, that's that's my problem. Why were they erased from history? Like, because the Romans because, basically just not only destroyed their empire but did the ancient world equivalent of just making sure that the city would never come back. Why? Because they hated them. They hated them. They had fought these wars with them for who would control the Mediterranean for, you know, yeah. hundreds of years, right? It's like 150 years. I'm gonna, so the Carthaginians... Oh, okay. Give us a timeline. Carthage is most known for the, the... Their biggest part in history was the Punic Wars. And that's because of our of our accounts usually come from the Romans. So, come yeah. from the Romans, right? The, the Punic Wars were from 264 BC to 146 BC. So more or less 120 years or so. Um, that happened more or less over the course of like four generations. The first one, Carthage was a dominant force in the Western Mediterranean. Rome was up and coming... And more or less went to war with them over colonies in Sicily that Carthage had. And uh, the first one, Rome won that one and, and made Carthage leave Sicily. The second one, which is a generation later, the Carthaginian armies, which were led by Hannibal, like the most famous Carthaginian. Yeah, that's the only Carthaginian I could probably name if yeah, you asked um, me to. They, he, he brought elephants across the Alps. He invaded Italy through the Alps and was at you know pretty much at the gates of Rome. Rome almost fell, and this war went on for like a decade or so, and then some Romans invaded Africa, where Carthage was, and Hannibal had to go back to Africa, defend Carthage, and he lost there. So the Carthaginians lost that war, and that was when they lost control of Sicily, or no, no, they lost control of Sicily the year before. That was when they lost control of most of the rest of the Western Mediterranean, and were left with pretty much just the larger area around Carthage, like what is now like top half of Tunisia. But if you go there, you don't see Carthaginian ruins, era ruins yeah. hanging no. out, do you? Uh, well, you can find some uh, outside of Tunis, the capital of Tunisia. So a couple generations after the Second Punic War, Carthage, they burned their whole navy and they had to, part of their treaty with Rome was that they wouldn't wage war except for maybe with Rome's permission and then maybe it would be just around their area. But because of that, they prospered through commerce and Kind of the same way that Japan and Germany prospered after World War II. They became a big prosperous nation. They always were actually pretty prosperous, but they continued to. A couple generations later, they become so prosperous that Rome essentially instigated another war against them, like just came up with a premise to go to war with them. But this war was much shorter. It was more or less like right away, Carthage, Rome told them that they had to give them a bunch of their nobles' children, you know, to essentially hold as hostages, which is a tradition that goes back a long time. And they did that. They had to, they told them they had to destroy all their weapons. They did that. And then Rome was like, you have to burn your whole city and, and move it 10 miles inland. Essentially give up like access to the ocean. Because they were on and the coast, And Carthage was right? like, fuck this. We're going to go ahead and go on with the war. They quickly rebuilt like all their weapons. I guess they're pretty industrious. Well, back then also, it's not like they had to make up uh, uh, you know, I mean, what are you going to make? I guess you have to make a boat or something, but... Yeah, well, they, they, they were making... And boats didn't really work for them because the city became besieged immediately. Their heart mm -hmm. was blockaded. Um, and pretty much the Third Punic War was all just Rome trying to fucking get into Carthage. Eventually, Rome got into Carthage, overtook the city slaughtered most of the population. Uh, those who they didn't slaughter, which is a small part of the population, they sold them into slavery and essentially erased Carthage from the map. And this could, like, the whole thing could be called a, a holocaust. Safe to call it a holocaust. Is Carthage where the city of Tunis is now? Or no, is Tunis the city... 
Oh, I thought maybe Tunis is like the 10 miles inland where the people no, moved to. I think it might be on the coastline still, but it's it's outside of it. And uh, like 100 years later, Rome built another Carthage, a new Carthage that was, you know, essentially Roman colony uh, on top of where Carthage was. There's a big hill that was the center of Carthage that they pretty much took the hill, the top of the hill off and the land that they removed was How used were they to cover ruled? a lot was of the old a, city. Who was in charge? Was it a democracy? Was it like a, a monarchy? What? I think it was a republic. And like similar, I think in some ways to Rome, again, like almost all of the info that we have on it either comes from archaeological finds or from accounts that come from outside of. I get it. And it's all like anytime you read about it, it's like, oh, Carthaginians are lazy. They're evil, too. So that's why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's it's been said and been throughout history believed that they sacrifice children, essentially in ritual sacrifice to gods, their own children they would sacrifice. But, and but I think there's still some historians yeah. who like Dan Carlin said it as if it was fact in his podcast. But the show I watched that had an English historian was like, yeah, I don't think this is true. There's archaeological evidence that that's probably not true, even though some people could interpret that evidence as is right, saying it right. is true, but they think that it was really just the Roman historians. Many of them, hundreds of years later, so were, we're telling stories about a Carthage. Place that's no longer there that we don't know that yeah. much about, except for third hand. That's possibly been demonized well, yeah, yeah. throughout the, the things that we centuries. do know. For one, is Hannibal. He's a Carthaginian. He's considered one of the greatest, some would call him the greatest general to ever uh, live. He was so effective and was so genius, they say, that like generals from the time of the Punic Wars all the way to our time have looked up to him and have like used some of his strategies. Oh, they study him. They say, they oh, study you got to bring yeah. the elephants over the mountain. You don't, don't bring the elephants down below the mountain. Yeah, I mean, he's... They can't swim. Probably the thing he's most known for is, he, is his army crossed the Alps uh, on foot, which is no army had ever Imagine done before. Imagine being one of those guys in Rome and seeing, not even the people that have to fight against them, but just like you're you're working, at, you're a farmer or somewhere, and this uh, elephant comes up and passes yeah. through your, your town on the way to... it's a war elephant. Like, it has it's armor. Trained. Oh, yeah, it probably has, like, stuff hanging from its tusks, like gold, you know? Apparently, they, they would give him wine, feed the elephants wine to get him, like, all charged up. But also, sometimes the elephant would go wild. So I guess the elephant driver, the person who, like, the pilot of the elephant, was uh -huh. uh, issued a giant stake to, like, hammer through the elephant's skull or hammer into the elephant's brain if oh it got God. too out of hand. But, like, when they crossed the Alps, they lost half their army and, like, many of the elephants. But still, they're able to get to Italy... By the way, Andy, this might be a mark against them for you because they oh, wage Andy's war Italian. with people. Yeah, I forgot about that. Your last name ends in I, and so <laughs> you might not like this. I, well, I always think, oh, they used elephants. That's good. Well, they also were like putting their emergency brake was a, a wooden stake to put through an elephant's head, <laughs> which which is like that's kind of a mark against them. And I mean, it's it's hard to like look at the past like this because all they're doing is like killing, enslaving each other. You know, it's hard to like say that one's really any better or worse than the other of these ancient cities. Yeah, um, but the thing about this one is it's forgotten. It's underrepresented in history. Uh, I mean, they're the one civilization that came the closest to conquering Rome. So, But it's like we're talking to them in the context of like Atlantis or something. Right, yeah, they might as well be to us in many ways. Yeah. And the other significant thing, other than Hannibal and crossing the Alps, is that the city was destroyed. Like, historically, that's kind of one of the only examples that we know, or the, the biggest example that we know of a place. Well, also cities just kind of go away, you know, like... Like yeah, this Sumer, happened at once. Like, they went in, they slaughtered everybody, they burned the city, and then once they burned the city, they spent like a year tearing down the, the buildings, everything else. Like the city burned for six days, and then they spent, the Romans spent a year just disassembling everything. Can you speak to any advancements that come from Carthage or other than Hannibal? Yeah, are there words that we use that come from Carthage or like, are there? I don't there, think there's much. What there is, is it? Is there like a kind of knot that sailors use that's called a Carthaginian knot? I think a, a lot of things to Rome. Technological things like they, like Rome wasn't a seafaring country. Before the, the wars with Carthage, they were mainly a, a land. Like they had conquered Italy militarily on land. Mm -hmm. 
And Carthage was a seafaring empire, and they built ships that were essentially like Ikea ships. This is an innovation they came up with, where like each part of the ship... Um, had on it written like oh, so you can like, send like it flat pack, you know, and anybody could put reassemble. It, back, reassemble it. Yeah. Wow, that's I mean that's actually pretty uh, like the, the bummer for them is that pretty big invention. One of these ships fell into the hands of the Romans, who then because every like all the instructions were written on it, were easily able to reverse engineer how to make ships. I and mean that's bad for them, but that's good for the world exactly. that that kind of that that kind of technology is yeah. around. Uh, maybe it's good for the world. Maybe it means we all buy disposable flat pack furniture. <laughs> yeah, it's like the IKEA. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's very little that we know about Carthage. You know, virtually nothing. Which and the thing is, that's exactly what the Romans wanted, and that's why they did what they did. But we're also like we grade on potential. Do you think like if they had still been around, uh, do you think that they would have like they they would have? But they the were around. They were essentially poised to be Rome, what Rome was. And I think that the history of the world would have. I mean, I think it would have gone similarly, but but different, you know, and, and, and the center of things would have changed. With, at the start of the Punic Wars, Rome was like the little guy who goes to prison and goes to the yard on his first day and finds the biggest guy and shanks him. And the biggest guy is Carthage. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what you have to do in prison, though. I yeah. mean, like, I've been told that repeatedly Yeah. in every new situation. Like, my first day on the podcast, I had to verbally shank him. <laughs> exactly. To, uh, to just, and I'm still you know, recovering from it. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a lot of agricultural practices that Rome probably got from Carthage. Because uh, Carthage, part of the reason they were such a big, prosperous country is because of their agricultural practices all over the Mediterranean, too, by the way, not just in North Africa. Uh, but again, those are things that because of the Romans, yeah, we attribute from, they to Romans. from that era and, and they were written down in Latin and, and we can read that, but we don't have the other yeah. accounts. Based on what we do know uh, on archaeological evidence is that they did have a complex urbanized society. Greek and Roman observers, contemporary observers wrote admirably. This is before the wars, before Rome decided to hate mm-hmm. them. They wrote admirably. You mean they would say like, oh, we went to Carthage and we saw the yeah. splendor and beauty they, so of it was that. sophisticated uh, uh, Republican okay. government. And then like historians re- in recent centuries, reinterpreting historical tests and archaeology, uh, they found Carthage to be far more complex, nuanced and progressive than uh, it's been previously believed. The thing is, is we just don't know. Yeah. You're, like you said, it's like might as well be like an Atlantis sort of. St- Except that, like the thing is, Atlantis is a fun concept. Because there's aliens involved or, you know, you can really go, your imagination can really go wild with Atlantis in a way that it can't with Carthage, which is a real place. Yeah. It's too bad that, like, that's the point of comparison is an imaginary. Well, but yes. it, it adds yeah. to the you fabric know. of society now, right? Carthage, the idea is this idea of this civilization that has added to and enriched our societies, whether it's through uh, a war with Rome and then Rome stealing the technology and inserting it into their own society. You know, it's something that that has existed in history and that has enriched all of our lives in some way through whether it be Ikea furniture, shipping flat pack, the, you know, different uh, strategies in farming or whatever it may be. You know, the thing is we can't pinpoint it. it, We can't. It's part of like the soup of the Mediterranean culture. So, you know, would you like looking at the list then, you know, where would you put it against something like capitalism, which is currently 84 or rats, which is eighty three. I think that's a good point right? of comparison. Are there any other like nation states? There's not or nation cities? states. There's locations. So there's Jersey Shore, uh, you know, which is kind of Jersey Shore is still there. Jersey Shore is like, still there. You know it's I mean, true. I, but it's but it's seen as heyday, or no? Maybe it's past its prime. Oh, so it's maybe like a lost empire. Although it's, in the same but it way also that uh, is it though? Because now what with COVID, you would think that outdoor activities, places like the Jersey Shore, might start popping off. Yeah, and it's I just think Jersey Shore has seen more development I, I, lately, too. Um, and Carthage is, is not going to pop off again, probably. I would be great if Carthage reformed, and it was like, all that stuff the Romans did, turned out it was in vain, and 
and and Carthage again dominates the Mediterranean and, and takes over, and Rome falls into decline in the long term. So a hundred years from now, people are like, they're like, look, the Punic Wars it ended up that Rome yeah. lost. It turned out. I'm know, of the impression they, that there are lots of societies in that part of the world that are trying to pop off. Yeah, I mean, everyone's really trying like to pop a, off. I'm just saying, like, what if, what if Carthage was like. Hey, let's do it again. Well, we're still I don't centrally think you located. Could call it Carthage. I mean, even if it was people from there, it's hard to like. Yeah, that it's a long. The people that go, live in Tunisia in now are not, you know, necessarily or probably not the descendants of Carthaginians. Some of them may or may not be. So, did the Carthaginians call themselves Carthaginians, or did they call themselves something like that? Or, yeah, something like, like that. I think Punic was a word that I think uh, outsiders called them. Oh, uh, okay, or, okay. People called them after the fact. So we looked at Jersey Shore, which is forty-five. We looked at capitalism, which is eighty-four. I mean, it is closer to an idea like capitalism to me than it is to like this specific location because there's not much at the location anymore yeah yeah I, i might like it more than jersey shore but jersey shore has more like and you could go to it well, yeah, you can you can go to the ruins of Carthage, yeah. but Carthage. Oh, dilapidated shacks. What about dilapidated shacks? Oh, that's up at twenty two. There's no story behind them. They're just a shack. You don't even know somebody built it at some point. It meant something to somebody. Yeah. It it it, it had a, it had a life cycle to it. Now it's fallen into ruin and decay. Yeah. Right. That's kind of like Carthage. It's true, but I don't like. I don't know much about Carthage, but I don't know. Sounds like nobody you does. Don't, you don't get joy from knowing about Carthage no, the yeah, same not way. The same Did you way, like the like, Dan Carlin podcast, though? Because I, I like those ones. Well, the podcast is okay. Dan Carlin can kind of annoy me sometimes, too. But um, Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't put, like, a picture of Carthage on my wall, but I would have a dilapidated shack if I had one, maybe. I'm looking at Anthony Gowdy at number 31. He, he's a historical figure who I actually don't know that much about, and I learned the most about him, like, while doing this podcast. Um, but I really appreciate yeah. him. Like, I think he contributed, you know, in an important way to human culture, maybe in some ways that we don't know. The thing about Carthage is that we just, there's much we don't know about it. Yeah, whereas Anthony Gowdy, you know quite a bit about him. You're like, oh yeah, he never was, he never got with a woman. You know what year he yeah. built this and what year he built that. What a- now, after Anthony Gowdy, number 32's Run the Jewels, I feel like I would want to put Carthage below them, but maybe not. What about between Land and Charmander? Yeah, that's actually that what I was looking me. at, to be honest. So um, okay. Land is at 34 and... Uh, Carthage, Civilization, enters the list at number 35. Yeah, that moves Charmander number 36. Let's take a quick break and then we'll quickly, if you guys have time, uh, rank one more thing. Yeah. We're back. So One more thing. Yeah, the last one suggested by... Who suggested, Jake? This was suggested by Carly S. Okay, so Carly S. suggested puns. Uh, I don't have a definition of it. It's when one thing sounds like another thing, and the joke is that one thing sounds like another thing, right? Yeah, so I do have a definition of it. It's a form of wordplay that exploits multiple meanings of a term or word, or of similar-sounding words for an intended humorous and rhetorical effect. Now, puns are often... I've heard them described called the lowest form of comedy. Yeah. But, I mean... You can, like, a fart is probably a more, I don't mean to say low in terms of quality, but just a fart is like a simpler form of comedy and more basic form of comedy than a pun. A pun requires some level of, there's a, there's two meanings and you have to hold two meanings in your head of something. So I I think saying low and high is kind of a bit biased. There's some puns that are quite funny. I'm with you on this. Oh, by the way, I have to, um, quick correction, I said Carly S, um, it's Carly W.S. I thought you were going to say it was Carthage S. And it was like someone ah, angry about the last... Maybe the revenge of Carthage. It's come back to yeah. suggest puns to us. About time. So a pun would be like, you say, hey, Jake, there was a problem at the um, at the mint. The machinery broke. I can't figure it out. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. That's a pun. You can tune a guitar, but you can't tune a fish. Unless, of course, you play bass. What do you call an alligator in a vest? Well, uh, what? That's called an investigator. An investigator. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I never. So is this a pun? If you is say, that a pun? It is a pun. Like a lot of times, you're confused. Uh, uh, I'm a father, and they like. I looked up a list of puns, and a lot of them they didn't seem like they were puns at all. They were just kind of dad yeah, jokes. Yeah, and I think I mean you puns are practically synonymous with dad jokes. Yeah, yeah. I would say that most dad jokes are puns, but maybe not all. Is this a pun if you say, "What is a windmill's favorite kind of music?" Windchime. Um, They're big metal fans. <laughs> yeah. Because you use is that the a pun? big metal because a fan fans, is fans a... the keyword there, yeah. And right, even metal okay, is because yeah, yeah, that yeah. has different definitions. Um, do you guys want to rank puns? Just get straight to it because I think the listener probably knows yeah. what a pun is. I think puns are great, especially for kids, because it, uh, it gets the brain moving. And I think you know maybe it is a dad joke because it's something dads say to get their kids to laugh. But you know, I mean, yeah. in talking to your kids, you always they're looking to ways to to kind of assimilate and uh, get them to pay attention. And I think it's a good way and, to and do be- that. Yeah, and also being able to hold two meanings of a like it's exactly. actually a really yeah. powerful thing to be able to understand. Oh, one thing can actually mean two things in different contexts. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, and you have and playing a game that's, with that's it. how poetry and written art works. You know, like I don't know if it's pun specifically, but like Shakespeare used a lot of wordplay in his plays. Yeah, but and that's but how like our really language bad. developed. Like there's some words that like it's basically like you're just playing around little games with yeah. words, and that's that's cool. And like a lot of important stuff comes from yeah. that. Maybe it's like onions in that sense. I know I, I've been coming back to onions a lot right, today. Yeah. But like maybe that's something like I'm looking kind of high up on the list. Yeah, I'm not against um, that. Although like sex is like important. So sex that's is like, like number twelve. You know, it's natural and good, right? But so and puns are kind of unnatural. Yeah, they're unnatural, but they're, they're uncanny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're to me they're in the field of things that are like great human creation. So like sex is more natural. Um, you're right. And yeah, I mean I would think like I'm looking at Watchmen at number nine. It's always hard for me to put things above that. I like it so much. I mean, I'm yeah, but it's just one. On the thing. list, I, I, yeah, I'm looking at like, the Three Stooges and Christmas trees. Okay, that kind three of makes, Stooges Three Stooges are kind of because see, Three Stooges are really elemental. I know it's just one act, and and they, but they do a lot of stuff with puns and things yeah. like that. They also do physical stuff, yeah. right? Which is, and I would say, is a more basic form of comedy than, yeah. than a pun, right? There's actually there there's stuff that you can do physically that does that you don't even would you say if it language. wasn't for puns you would not have the three stooges i i think they could still, still like three stooges could be a silent act they did have um, a lot of slapstick right yeah the yeah. comedy would be a different type of comedy but they could have done it i would i would put puns below three stooges i don't know where below them but maybe I, above uh, christmas trees uh, like right in right in between yeah i mean right in there that could do that maybe like let me or think about trading else. places i'm trying to think of uh, i mean also the thing is i love rye bread That's oh yeah yeah. And rye bread, it's like I never eat a slice of rye bread and don't like it. But sometimes I hear puns and I think, like, oh, yeah, oh man, true. I had to hear that. You know? <laughs> but the, but still, like, in right? I guess sometimes rye bread could be stale, right? And fingernail clippers could be used to, to mangle your penis with. <laughs> like, that's why I don't like That's why they're not higher, you know? Yeah. Puns can be puns used and, to ill effect. Puns like it, but, you know, including puns, has had more of a positive impact on culture than rye bread has. And then maybe Three Stooges has. Are there negative effects of puns? Like, are, are there problems? Was it more caused by them no. or something? I mean, it's just... It, it's harmless. Yeah. I liked what Andy said around... So under three stooges, but uh, Maybe above you can put it below Christmas trees, actually, and above trading places. I'm right. good with that, too. Andy, you have a really good sense of this ranking. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, that's puns at number 19. We've been trading places to number 20. And uh, that's it. We've ranked everything. Uh, we've had Andy, our second ever guest, as a guest panelist. Thanks Andy, for having me. Andy, you did a great job. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. Yeah, Thanks we'll have coming. to ask you to come back sometime and help us rank more stuff. I'd love that. Anytime. This is oh, great. Okay, cool. Oh, and... You can find Andy on Twitter and on Instagram. He's yeah, got... my Instagram's at Andy Grinelli and uh, 
followed Seized Up or The Distillers on Instagram or social nice. media or Twitter. Yeah, if you're in his way on those, when he's ripping up those uh, bike trails, get out of the way, man. <laughs> yeah, stay out of um, Santa Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you not like it when people, you know how surfers don't like it when they come to Santa Cruz and they like, like what high school did you go to? You know, get the fuck out oh, of these yeah. waves. Do you say that to people on the trails? On the uh, I don't, know, but I know that there are oh, people okay. who are grumpy that other people are around or traveling to their area to clog up the waves or clog up the trails. When people yeah. ask you directions to the mystery spot, do you send them to the Winchester Mystery House? <laughs> yeah, I say it's uh, hang a right on 17. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Every Damn Thing. We hope you enjoyed it. So go to everydamthing.net for the updated list and show notes where we fact check ourselves, give further info on subjects we talked about. If you have something you'd like us to add to the list of everything, email it to us at list at everydamthing.net. That's right. We'd love to hear your suggestions for things of rank or any comments, words of encouragement or correction or threats. Again, the email is list at everydamthing.net. We're on Twitter at everydamtweets. We're on Instagram at everydamthingpod. You can suggest topics there as well. You can subscribe to the show wherever you got this episode. Uh, our theme music is by Jade Puget. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it. Please recommend it to a friend who would like it also. Yeah, your friends are going to love it. Yeah, that's why. You go, but they won't know until you tell them. Yeah. Tell them you got to hear this one. It's got Andy on it. Tell them that. Yeah, goodbye. goodbye. Thanks, guys.